been talking about being who God created us to be. I hope that you're feeling like um, the real you is emerging. You know, it's kind of like, will the real you please stand up? Uh, so, many, so many of us, the real you has never stood up. It's always been the false you, you know, the one that lives through addiction or the one that lives through codependence or the one that lives in anger and bitterness and brokenness. That one's the only one that ever stands up. That's the only one that ever speaks. It's the only one anyone ever sees. They don't ever really see the real you. In fact, you get frustrated with people because they never really, you know, treat you like you should be treated because, but the truth is they don't even know you because the real you has never stood up. So we're talking about being who you were created to be by God, which was a good thing because God only does wondrous things. God did not create one person to be a failure. He didn't create one person to be a worrywart. He didn't create one person to be uh, lost in anger, have fits of rage. He didn't create one person to be a hothead. He didn't create one person to be stingy or mean or ugly. There's no way you can say, that's just who I am, because what you say when you say, that's just who I am, I'm just ugly or mean or whatever, what you're saying is, I have abandoned what God created, and I only want you to see what I've created. So be who God created you to be. Don't be who you've created you to be. Because that's a lie. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to grow out of. But we've been looking at the book of Esther, and we've been talking about Becoming who we were created to be. And we see Esther, and I used this term a few weeks ago, she's the pinnacle of purpose in the Bible. She's a young woman who had no reason in the natural to think that she was special in any way, yet because of a series of events where she became queen and married to the most powerful king in the whole world, she found identity in being the bride of the king. And what we're finding out through studying Esther is that we also are the bride of a king, the king of kings. We, the church, I individually am a bride to the king. And I find my identity in being his bride, just like Esther did. I was glad to leave the peasant life and become the bride to the king. I was glad to leave the poverty of my old life and become rich as the bride of the king. I personally made that decision in 1976. I don't look back before that as the good old days. I don't talk about how great it was before I came to know the king because honestly, my life was not that great. It was full of a lot of emptiness, a lot of loneliness, a lot of questions, a lot of, I didn't even know what I was made for. But as I've gotten to know the king and my identity is in the king, I have begun to emerge into what God's created me to be. And I can tell you that feels a lot better than what I used to feel like. Our identity is being the bride of the king, just like Esther's identity was. So we're going to pick up this story again. We know that Esther uh, was in the, in the castle. She was married to the king. And there was a man, we, we got introduced to him a few weeks ago. His name is Haman. His, he is a, uh, a personification of the devil. 
So when you read about Haman in the book of Esther, you're actually reading about the devil. When you read about Esther in that book, you're reading about the church. And so you begin to see a story emerge as a parallel that we're talking about Esther and Haman, but we're actually talking about the church and the devil. The king is a personification of Jesus. So as we go through this, we'll see that unfold. Haman had gotten the king, talked the king into allowing him to write a decree that would eliminate all the Jews of the land. All the Jews were on, you know, Haman just hated the Jews. It's kind of like today. So many people just hate the Jews. It's so funny to me. You just listen to people talk all over the world. You, you listen to much news at all, and you see there's just tons of people that can't stand the Jews. Why is that? Well, let's look at this decree that was written by uh, Haman and that the king put his signet ring on. And it's in chapter 3, verse 13 of Esther. This is the decree. It says, Dispatches were sent out by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated in a single day. Right. Well, it, w- it wasn't enough just to say killed. <laughs> killed, slaughtered, and annihilated. In case you have any doubt, on a single day, this was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those that killed them. You know, back in the 40s, there was a decree that went out. It was called the final solution that Hitler put out. And the final solution went out, and it was to kill, slaughter, annihilate all the Jews in Europe and Whoever killed them could keep their property. Even to this day, they still find Jewish treasures, art pieces, jewelry that had been stolen in the 40s. They're finding those different places in, in, uh, in Europe that have been hidden where the Nazis took the Jewish um, wealth and took it for themselves because they were actually fulfilling a mandate to go out and kill, slaughter, and annihilate the Jews. Why the Jews? This is a little bit of a sidebar, but it's really not. So follow with me, and you're going to have to follow me to to stay up on this one. We're going to Revelation, and we're going to chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 13. Now, we're, we're coming into the end times here, folks. I don't know if you know this. And so when we get into the end times, it's good to have a proper perspective and and frame of reference whenever you're looking at your worldview. I'm not one of these, I'm not a doomsdayer, and I'm not one that's got a bleak outlook about the end of the world. You don't hear me up here uh, trying to scare you or trying to scare you into heaven or right relationship with God. I'm just not one of those preachers. What I do want you to know is I want you to be informed about what we live in and and the age that we live in because it helps you as a child of God, as the bride of the king, to know what your responsibility is. So important. So we're going to read this out of Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. The dragon, which is another personification of the devil, realized that he had been thrown down to earth and he pursued the woman that had given birth to a male child. We're picking up this story in the middle, so I'm just going to have to fill in the blanks. It says that the devil, when he was ended up here on the earth, his 
in his mind, he declared war on the woman that gave birth to the male child. The woman in this verse is Israel. The male child in this verse is Jesus. There's a decree written by the devil that to kill, annihilate, and destroy Israel because she gave birth to a child that destroyed the works of the devil. So you see the stage beginning to emerge. Verse 14. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly into a place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for, protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half time. Many times over the history of Israel, there was a uh, a dispersion of the Jews. They were, they were persecuted and they would disperse into many nations. And some people would see this as a, a negative thing, but actually in God's word, what it is, it's a way for God to preserve his people by taking them out of a central location where they could have been easily destroyed and dispersing them among many nations where they would find safety. So they've been scattered out into the wilderness so that they could be protected from the dragon. Next verse. The dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, verse 16. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth, swallowing that river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. Now in this, you're going to have to take some symbolism and put with it some things that we've seen over the course of history. Many times there's been uh, extreme persecution of the Jews. The devil has used the Christian church to destroy, annihilate, and kill Jews. He's used the Muslim religion to destroy, annihilate, and kill Jews. He's used a number of things to kill and annihilate the Jews. The most recent one that we've seen is when Nazi Germany decided through the final solution that they would destroy this nation. And he has tried, the devil, the devil has tried to send out a flood to destroy her, but it, the whole world came and opened up this avenue for Israel to be reborn. Israel was, just, was birthed as a nation in one day, which is a prophetic um, um, fulfillment of, a, of an Old Testament prophecy that said that there would be a nation born in a day. And in May 1948, Israel came together as a nation once more. They had not been a nation for almost 2,000 years. The whole world came together and put them in their nation. They were birthed in one day because they came to the aid of her after the devil tried to destroy her in World War II. This is a stage that has been set. And so the next verse. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, those that keep God's commandments, and this last phrase, those that maintain their testimony of Jesus Christ. You wonder, I saw Bill Maher the other day, had a little blurb. Why does they hate us? That's what this blurb, you know, and he was talking about these uh, jihadists over there, these extreme uh, uh, terrorists that are killing people by, you know, just crazy stuff. And, and Bill Maher says, why do they hate us? Of course, Bill Maher doesn't know that it's written in scripture why they hate us. The reason that we're hated is because we are actually offspring of of the, of the woman who through the child grafted us into her family. So this is a stage that you have to understand. When you read Haman's decree going out, 
It's not just some random Old Testament story. It's actually a story, a parallel of human history. This is the way it's going to be. It's not just some random story that has one little meaning and we can kind of glean out of it. All of God's book is a parable. All of God's book tells the revelation of Jesus Christ into the world. He tells us why the devil hates us. You see, we're the bride. The devil can never be the bride. He can never ascend and sit on the throne with the king. We can, and he hates us for it. Why does he accuse you day and night, like it says in the book? Because you're not worthy to sit on the throne. Jesus made you worthy. Our identity is found in the king, not in our own worthiness. So Esther, she's in, the, she's in the palace. She's married to the king. This decree goes out, kind of like we are now. The decree goes out. We know it's just a standing decree. And, and, and it comes to her attention by her people. You need to go to the king and, you know, intercede. <laughs> you need to go to the king and tell the king what's going on. And Esther was afraid to go because she knew if she came before the king and he didn't call for her, that he'd kill her. So we know the story. She said, I'm going to go. If I die, I die. But I'm going to go stand before the king. So Esther, she mustered up all her courage. We talked about it a few weeks ago. She came into the king's court uninvited. She walked down that deal and the king extended the gold scepter we talked about that a few weeks ago about what all that means. She approached the king and the king said, oh, Esther, I'm so pleased with you. I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And so he said, what do you want? And we'll pick the story up there. Chapter five. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes, entered the court palace and just across the king's hall, the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her, held out the golden scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. The king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What's your request? I'll give it to you up to half the kingdom. And here it comes. Esther says, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for the king. <laughs> okay. Esther just wimped out. I mean, honestly, she wimped out. She gets before the king. She has her big chance to intercede. And she should have said, King, did you see that decree you wrote? Did you see that decree that Haman, he wanted to kill us. But she didn't do that. She said, will you come to a banquet and bring Haman with you? That's crazy. The king turned to his attendants and he said, Tell Haman to come quickly to the banquet as Esther's requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. This is so interesting to me. Haman was not in the court. It would have been, in my mind, a perfect time for Esther to come in and go, King, you know, it's a good thing Haman's not in here because I'm about to tell you what's going on. She didn't do that. She came before the king and she said, come to a banquet that I've prepared. Hey, and bring Haman with you. So powerful. And the king says, go get Haman. I don't care what he's doing. I don't care how busy he is. Tell him to drop it. We got to go to Esther because she's made a request of us and we're dropping whatever we have going. Cancel all my appointments this afternoon. We're going. 
You know, sometimes we just have to know how much authority we walk in. You see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she knew how much authority she walked in. Because the first miracle, she, they, Jesus said, you know, she said, hey, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus goes, well, what's that to me? My time hasn't come. And Mary goes to the attendants, do whatever he says. Guess what Jesus did? He made the wine. You know why? Because she was intimate with her son, and he did what she wanted him to do. <laughs> Intimacy with the king is what gives you authority with the king. Powerful stuff, y'all. They dropped it. They came to the banquet. And while they're sitting there drinking wine, the king... And, and anytime you see drinking wine in the scripture, this is what it means. He was full of joy. You see, you, you read in scripture that wine was created for joy. It's, it's, you go, well, oh, that's, you know, many of you struggle with alcoholism and it's difficult to understand that wine is joy. But the truth is wine was created for joy. You know, not three bottles of it. <laughs> but it's just like other things God creates. God created sex. You know, we think God God gets embarrassed when we talk about sex. Heck, he created it, and he created it for joy. He created it for, for such a beautiful thing. But like wine, people take things, and then they, they distort. The devil distorts our minds, and they begin to be something that's ugly. So when you read that he was drinking wine, he was in full of joy. And then he says, Esther, you know, he's all full of joy. He says, tell me what you really want. I know it's not just this banquet. What is your request? And I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. And this was Esther's reply. Here we go. Here she comes. This is my request, my deepest wish. If I found favor with the king, if it pleases the king, grant my request to do what I ask. Please come with Haman tomorrow to another banquet that I prepared for you, and I'll explain it then. It's all about double wimp, right? She really wimped out. So, we skip over to chapter 7. I'm going to just read this through because the story is so fun. They show up in chapter 7. It says the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And on the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I'm going to give it to you even if it's half of everything I own. Queen Esther replied, if I found favor with the king... If it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate them. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could have remained silent, for that had been too trivial a matter for the king. Who would do such a thing, Xerxes said. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther said, this wicked Haman, our adversary, our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright. <laughs> He's like, whoop, uh. and, and the king jumped to his feet with a rage and went out into the palace garden. That's interesting. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. For he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. 
just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, what? You're even going to assault the queen right here in my palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face signally his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, hey, Haman set up this sharp pole that stands 75 feet tall, and he was going to impale Mordecai on it, the man that saved you from the assassins. And, and then the king said, impale Haman on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole that was set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger, anger subsided. It's a great story. <laughs> I mean, a great, great story. If you get into this and you begin to let the Spirit of God tell you what God is saying to us in these scriptures, it blows your mind, blows your socks off. First of all, did she wimp out? No, she didn't wimp out. She didn't wimp out. What was she doing? She was breaking the cycle of fear. You see, she was stepping into faith. Therefore, she became the pinnacle of purpose because we can never find our destiny or our purpose in fear. We will only find it in faith. You must break the cycle of fear in order to walk in a cycle of faith. They both work in a cycle. Haman hated him. He sent out a threat, which came in, the, in a decree. Then there was a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to be fearful and stay in the harem? Back out, say it's not my battle. God wants me to do something. He'll tell me to go do it. Or did she step into faith and say my action is an invitation to my destiny? You have to hear that. We come up against difficult things. We have a choice between faith and fear. If we choose fear, we slink back. We're just making ourselves further from our destiny. If we choose faith, we step into an opportunity to walk in our destiny and our purpose. Faith, it, fear, fear is always at the crossroads of faith. Fear is always the why in the road against faith. I'll go on and say it this far. We're either walking in faith or we're walking in fear. You see, Esther didn't panic. She invited him to a banquet. The opposite of panic. She didn't come in and him hold out the scepter and her go, Ah, you know, this is trying to kill us. And, and I'm scared to come, but I was just going to come and... You know, oh, help me. If you don't do something, we're all going to die. No, she said, why don't you come to this banquet? Let's drink a little wine. Let's have a good time. Let's sit together. And then he said, this is great. And she said, you know, I so love being with you. Let's do this tomorrow. And he said, I love being with you too. I want to be with you tomorrow. And they show up tomorrow and they do the same thing. And then when she approaches the king, she doesn't approach in panic or fear, she approaches through peace and faith. Her destiny was discovered in her faith. I love this part. Did you notice that Esther never feared Haman? 
ever. She invited him to the banquet. He wasn't even in the court. She could have just invited the king. But no, she wanted him there in front of her husband because she knew her identity with the king gave her more power and authority than what Haman carried. You see, she wasn't afraid of him. I don't think we need to be afraid of the enemy. Yet we do. We do get afraid of him. We get afraid of the report that comes that says we're going to die. We get afraid of the report that says we're going to be destroyed. We get afraid of these reports that come our way and we know they're from the enemy. Yet we give more fear to that. We give more credence to it by fearing it than we give credence to God by having faith through it. It's a crossroads for all of us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, don't fear man that can only kill your body. Fear God that can kill your body and your soul and send you to hell. It's a simple parable, but here's here's what he's saying. Stop letting fear over temporal things divert you from your eternal purpose. That's what he's saying. You'll never find your destiny by being fearful in in temporal things. I mean, she's reclining on the sofa. I love that. She's laying on the sofa. The enemy's there. She's laying on the sofa. She's talking to the king from a position of... (laughs) That doesn't look like panic to me. That looks like I'm not worried about it. You know why I'm not worried about it? He's my husband. And he is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And I rest in the fact that he put the ring on my finger and he wasn't lying. And that I carry the same authority and power because I am one with him. Even as he is one with his father. Haman was the one freaking out. Not Esther. Listen to that. Haman, the devil, was freaking out. The church was not freaking out. She was afraid more of the king than she was of the devil. Because she was depending on the king for her resources. When she really knew that she could approach the throne of grace in her time of need and he would not turn her away because she was so special to him that he would grant her request no matter what it was. She laid down at rest in faith, in peace with the king there and it made the enemy freak out. Okay, I'm about to read a verse to you that's probably one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. So I want you to pay attention. You don't hear anything else. Hear this. Philippians 1.28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. But that you're going to be saved even by the king himself. Did you hear that? 
Our response to scary situations actually brings intimidation to the enemy when we lay down in peace and in faith and he sees, uh, the enemy's like, aren't you going to freak out? I, I mean, don't you, don't you realize that this could kill you? Don't you realize that there's people who want to kill you? Don't you realize that this is going to hurt you? And we're like, I, you know, God is for me. What can be against me? If God gave me his son, what wouldn't he give me? Why would I panic at something that's temporal when I have everything eternal secure and I have God's spirit inside me? Why would I do that? And when we respond in faith to the enemy and to these things that are happening, it is a sign to the enemy that they are going to be destroyed. You know why Haman, you know why Haman knew he was going to die? It said he knew he was going to knew the king was going to kill him. Why? Because she was laying on the couch and she knew he knew by looking at the relationship between her and the king that he was toast. If Esther had treated the king like a stranger, I don't think the enemy would have been near as afraid because he would be thinking, well, she is annoying and he doesn't even act like he likes her. So they're not really, you know, I'm not really worried about it. There's so much break in their relationship. I don't think I'm threatened at all. You see, it's in the unity and in the in intimacy and in the peace and the love and the absolute 100% confidence in God's grace and his love and his mercy in my life that gives me authority. And that's what I walk in. And when the enemy sees that, he's shaking in his boots. There's way too much fear in the church. Because there's not enough faith in our heart. Our most powerful position is in the place of rest and peace. It's a sign. Psalm 23, we all know it so well. Go to verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, and it's your rod and your staff that comfort me. Not, you give me the rod and staff and I comfort myself. No, I'm with the king. I'm just going to lay down on the couch. He's going to comfort me. Next verse. You prepare, look at this. You prepare a table before before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Why did she invite Haman into the deal? Because it is amazing that God will do victory in the presence of our enemies so that his glory can be made known. And when his glory is made known, you share in his glory. Just like Esther did. Next verse. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to dwell in this house with the king forever. I'm going to walk in this forever. There's nothing that can separate me from the love that God has for me. I'll have this authority till the day I die. And then I'll have his authority because I'll be with him. This isn't something we have to wait to heaven to get. The deal is it's about temporal things versus eternal things. Jesus continually tried to talk to people. The reason they couldn't comprehend what he was saying is he was, they were so tied up in the temporal and he was talking to them about the eternal. That's why when he talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus couldn't figure it. Nicodemus is thinking temporal and Jesus is talking eternal. So many times we don't hear what the Father is saying, what the Son is saying, because we're so tied up in the temporal problem. You see, Esther was not tied up in the temporal problem 
She was totally anchored in the fact that she had an eternal connection with the king. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth that thieves steal and rust destroys. He said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing can get to them. What's he saying? He's saying, you're so freaked out and fearful about money, you will not sow into what's eternal. Some of you, now hear me. Some of you never discover God's financial destiny on your life because you're fearful of poverty. The fear of poverty has kept you bound and you will not step into faith. Therefore, you cannot step into your financial destiny because you can't go down the road of faith. And I want to say this. The road of faith is paved with many obstacles. That's why it's called faith. But some of you want breakthrough financially. Some of you want to walk in that full financial destiny. You know in your heart you're made to be more than you are. But you can't break through financially because you will not trust God with the first fruit of your income. Therefore, you walk in fear and you can't walk in faith. And you miss the financial destiny that God has preordained over your life. You're like, you're like Esther. You come into a place where the king says, you know, the, the king wants to bless you financially. But then a Haman steps in front of you and says, I've made a decree that you're going to live in poverty the rest of your life. Instead of you joining the hands with the king and saying, King, I'm going to stand here with you and do things your way because I know you want me to be rich. But no, we sit there and listen to the devil and go, He's right. I've got to live in fear. And if I don't live in fear, then I'm going to be broke. And then the more, more you're in fear, the more broker you are. <laughs> the more you work, the you reach in your pocket and it's just got a hole in it. You want breakthrough? Walk in faith. You want to live in bondage? Walk in fear. Just that simple. It's just a choice. Okay, Trey, let's show this video clip. But the man never mentions a specific target in America's capital. He also warns of more attacks to come in Europe, telling countries there they will be unable to stop us because today we are much stronger than before. The authenticity of the video has not been independently verified. The FBI and Washington police did not immediately return requests for comment. The clip comes the day after France launched a serial airstrikes on Raqqa, ISIS capital in Syria, retaliating for the onslaught of cheese and bombings that devastated the French capital Friday. So, that's pretty common in the news today. I mean, it's pretty common that we would get um, a threat against our nation. It's, a, it's pretty common that we get threats against us because we're Christians. It's interesting that they claim that their power comes from the king, just like Haman claimed his power came from the king. You know, it's a, it's a decree to go out uh, that says, you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And, you know, we're like Esther. We have a choice. 
We can approach this with fear or anger, or we can approach it in faith from a place of peace. I mean, this is really where we live, right? We can either allow that cycle of fear to take over our mind and we can withdraw or we can get angry or we can just get this mindset that, you know, we're not going to be happy until all of them are dead. Or we can go over here and in faith we can lay down in the presence of the king and say, God, I'm just not worried about it. You, oh, you're sticking your head in the sand. No, I'm, I'm joining up with the king. And you know what? I'll do anything the king tells me to do. No, you're wimping out. No, that's not wimping out. I will not give credence and fear to the enemy. We live in unprecedented times. Jesus said this. At the end, you're going to hear about wars. We know there's real wars. And rumors of wars. You know what rumors of wars are? That's threats of war. On such and such date, we're going to come and we're going to kill, annihilate, and destroy you and take all your goods to be ours. And Jesus said this, right after he said that, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And he said this, let not your heart be troubled. What? I thought we were supposed to panic. I thought we were supposed to go and, and, and get on a plane and go over there and start shooting people. I didn't know what we were supposed to do. I thought we were supposed to talk really ugly and really violently. I thought we were supposed to jump up and, and, and declare, you know, hatred against uh, whole groups of people. I thought this was the way we approached it. No, Jesus said, when they slap you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, because if you want to break the cycle of violence and fear, you've got to do an opposite reaction. If you hit them back, you're going to get hit again. It's, it's just the way God is. Now, that being said, I'm not political, but I'm going to jump off here just a minute. It's interesting to me that her peace and her, her unity and intimacy with the king produced Haman's death, which we know the devil's been completely destroyed and defeated. Right. Yet in the next chapter, the story wasn't over. The decree still stood. You know why? Because the, the law of the Medes and Persians was unalterable. Why? Because God's law is unalterable. Not a jot or tittle will be, left at, will be left out of this law. That's what Jesus said. He said not one jot or tittle will be removed from the law. I came to fulfill the law. Now what does that mean? It means that there's always a decree for sin that leads to death. And it's out there because it's irrevocable. It's part of the law. But God passes another law that's called uh, uh, grace and, and, and love. And he says that law will supersede the law of sin and death. And when the law of grace and, and love is passed, it supersedes it. We walk under the law of grace and love. But we constantly are being accused and threatened with the law. That brings death. In this particular book. The story wasn't over. And in the next chapter. Esther goes back before the king. And this time she says. What do we do about the law. That's standing. And he says. I'm going to pass a decree. That says the Jews can defend themselves. So that those that try to take their life. Will be able to be destroyed. Now, here's what I'm saying. 
reaction to that type of activity never comes through fear and anger. Action to activity for defense always comes through peace, love, and grace. I'm not saying that you roll over and let them kill you. Here's what I'm saying. Get your orders from the king and not from the devil. You have to remember the kingdom of God is counterculture to the kingdom of humanity. There's always going to be a Haman. It says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one in 1 John. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's always going to be a Haman wanting us to bow down. Claiming to have the authority of the king. Claiming that it, he has authority to, to bring death and destruction. But we are the Esther of our generation. Yes. We have been born for such a time as this. We are the Esther. We are the church for this generation. We are to rise up and be the queen that has authority and power through intimacy with the king. Be who God created you to be. Well, you won't be that if you live in fear. You won't be that if you live in anger. Because faith and fear are separate roads. They don't coexist. You can't serve the spirit of fear and the spirit of anger. And at the same time serve the spirit of God. You can't do it. You'll either be in faith or you'll be in the other. Word says that anger never brings God's righteousness. Ever. James 1.20, God will never accomplish his will by man's anger. Ever. 2 Timothy 1.7, God doesn't give a spirit of fear. If we walk in fear, we're in the wrong spirit. I mean, what would 100% faith in God look like? What if we had 100% faith in God? Like Esther did in the king. You know what it would look like? It would look like reclining in front of the enemy. Because you wouldn't be worried about temporal things. Today's word, today's word is rest, peace, and faith. Rest, peace, and faith. I don't care who threatens who about what. Rest, peace, and faith. Because in Colossians, God says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And here's the reason why you let peace rule in your heart. Because in Proverbs 4, it says, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. If you have an angry, bitter, uh, hateful, fearful heart, it will determine the course of your life. And you will find yourself on the destiny of the devil and not the destiny God created you for. How do you know if you're in the destiny of the devil? Because you're unhappy, you're unfulfilled, you're trapped in addiction, you're trapped in narcissism, you're trapped in all the things the devil's about. How do you know if you're on the road of your destiny? Because you're living for God and you're living for others and you find joy peace and happiness on that road. Jesus said, come unto me, all that you that are freaked out, <laughs> panicked, 
angry, fearful, I'm going to give you rest. Now, here's what I think. I think the church has come to Jesus. They just hadn't stayed long enough to get rest. You know, they just hadn't stayed in his presence long enough to come to a place of rest. This is a this is a strong statement. I'm going to say it. I see a lot more fear in the church today than I see people in the prayer room. You know why? Because the ultimate act of faith is prayer. You see, when she was reclined there in the presence of the king, it was through intimate prayer to the Father, to the to the to the Lord, that she was gaining her authority and power. And she was resting in that fact. And it was the ultimate act. She didn't know. She didn't know. But she knew in her newer, knower. She didn't know in her mind. She, she was acting in faith. Why else would she invite Haman? Because she was acting in absolute faith. And I'm telling you that when we come into prayer and we come into the prayer room and we lay out before the Lord and we just are wanting our sole purpose is to connect with him so we can find peace for our souls. That's an ultimate act of faith. I'm going to conclude with this story and then we're going to minister to a few people. Story in the Bible, everybody knows it. Mary and Martha. Jesus went to their house. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen banging pans, slamming cabinets, doing all that stuff to get attention. She comes out and says, Jesus. I mean, really. You know, I'm in there working my fingers to the bone, and my sister's sitting here. Will you just tell her, hey, stop wasting your time. Get in there and help your sister. What did Jesus say to her? He said, I will not take this away from your sister because she's chosen the one thing, the most important thing. And I'm not going to take it. And then he said this to Martha. Martha, you're so distracted. You're so distracted by everything that's going on around you. And you're missing what's most important. This is what I think I feel in the church today. We're so distracted. We're so panicked about things that are temporal and don't matter. We're so obsessed with things that don't matter and in eternity and we're missing the voice of Jesus that brings peace and direction in our life you see be still and know that I'm God if you don't be still you will never know his power because his power comes in absolute surrender his power comes through rest you're wearing yourself out and you're missing the voice of the Lord. You will not find your destiny in wearing yourself out and by worrying about every pot and pan being cleaned and every dish being in order and every cabinet being just right. You will find your destiny sitting at the feet of the king and letting him be intimate with you and filling you with the power that he has to give you and the authority. We are the Esther for our generation. We cannot afford to be distracted in these violent times with things that don't matter. We can't let the devil steal our heart and drag us into his world because we're fearful and angry. 
The most powerful heart is a heart full of rest and peace and faith. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for some of you. I want to pray for some of you because as I speak these words, you know that you're being distracted by the devil, that the threats by the enemy or whatever it is that come into your mind that cause you to be so busy with temporal things that you're missing what Jesus is saying. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you that are so distracted you're missing the voice of God over your own life. So would you stand up if you're feeling that? Because I want to pray over you. Okay, I want you to put your hands in front of you and I'm just going to speak over your hands. I declare over these hands that the hands of the Lord, they'll do the work of the Lord. That Father, we surrender our hands, our bodies, our physical beings to you for your service. We love you, Lord. We want to be in love with you. We want to spend our time letting our hands Join with your hands. And now I want you to put your hand over your heart. And pray with me. Declare over your heart. Peace. Be still. Peace. Be still. Say it again. Say it out loud. And now over your mind. I pray over these minds. God, put your hands on your head. Just, I pray over these minds, Lord, and I pray that the distractions would go in Jesus' name. The confusion and the, 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 the absolute attack on my mind would go in Jesus' name. And that the peace of God that passes understanding would fill my mind. And now, I want you to put your hands on your ears. And I just pray that the deaf and dumb spirit would be gone in Jesus' name. And they could hear the voice of the Lord. And now if you just stand there with just a minute. I'm just going to ask the Lord just to speak a word of peace to your heart. God, speak, of, speak to your people. Speak. Amen. And I want to pray for another group. And that is the people that have not found their financial destiny. You, you know you're not living in what God's promised you. you. You know that your financial destiny is about having more than enough. And you don't have it. And you know that it's yours to have. Yet you can't find it. And you refuse to trust God because you're afraid. I mean, you're just afraid. You're afraid if you give what God tells you to give that you're going to be in, in lack and you've believed a lie of the enemy and it keeps you from your financial destiny. Now, I know that that's a tough word to stand up on, but I'm still going to ask you to stand up because I want you to break the power of the enemy over your life. It feels really good not to worry about money. I can tell you that. It feels really good to know that if you have a need, you have the money in the bank. That feels good. 
That's from the Lord. That's not from you. That's from the Lord. You have to know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, you probably don't know the second half of that. You own half the cattle on a thousand hills. Because he said, up to half my kingdom, you can have it. Okay? So you, you're rich. You just don't know it. You, you, you're like one of those people that looks in the paper and sees a long-lost relative name, and that money's been sitting there for 100 years, and you, it's yours, but you just don't go get it. You know, the deal is God knows we live in a real world, and he knows we need money. And he talks about money just about more than anything in the Bible because he wants us to trust him in this area because he knows it's so important. But some of you are so vexed in fear that you refuse to do things God's way and you harden your heart and you go your own way and you're believing a lie and you will never find financial peace until you surrender to God. You've got to surrender to what God wants you to do. And it's just that simple. Yeah, it's hard. It's just like with Esther. It would have been so much easier if she had just stayed in the harem and just kept her own little world, you know. But she had to risk it all to step into faith so she could find the true destiny over her life. God, you see these that are standing. And I pray over them now in the power of Jesus' name. I pray for faith to rise up and fear to go down. In fact, we just speak to fear today and we just say, go in the name of Jesus. I can tell you this, fear is already afraid. It's probably already left the room. All that's left now is you saying yes to God. I, you know, it says resist the devil and he'll flee. He's already fled because we're resisting the devil. You've agreed with this sermon. I've seen it in your face. You've already agreed. So he's already left. Now you've got to fill up that place with light. You've got to say, instead of just resisting the devil, you need to accept the Lord and his ways in your heart. So just say yes to God. Just If you're standing, just say yes, God. And what you're saying is, I'll do things your way. Yes, God. Now here's the tricky deal. I can't make that walk any easier. Stepping into faith is, a, you know, it's, it really is a step of faith. But you need to take it. Because you'll find peace. On that road. God just send your peace in this room right now. And let this affirmation of agreement with your word. Go deep into the hearts of these people. And let them know that they know. That they can walk in absolute peace and provision. All the days of their life. Yes I thank you for this in Jesus name.